Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. God's like, I called you here to feed the sheep. That's your job. What do we feed them? Feed them the word. That's what you do. When you when a shepherd or a pastor shows up and he doesn't want to teach from the word of God, you're not providing any nutritional value to the sheep at all. Cool story. That's funny. Ha, huh, got a ha-ha out of me. Excellent. Sweet. Where's the meat? Where's the milk? Where's the life? As Christians, when we're deciding on our home church, are we doing it for the right reasons? There's so many factors that go into this decision, but are we skipping any important details? Well, in today's message, Pastor James wants you to know that you need to go to God and make sure that you're attending a church that preaches on the whole counsel of His Word. Don't make any compromises because you think that the pastor's funny or the music's good. Choose based on God's truth. Now, here's Pastor James in the book of Mark, chapter 6, with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. There's a guy that I admire tremendously. He's, he's long been dead, okay? And that's usually my heroes are the dead ones. They served the Lord faithfully, and from start to finish, they had their ups and downs and all that good stuff. Uh, but D.L. Moody is one guy that I look up to tremendously, tremendously. A, a, a faithful man of God, did, did amazing things up there in that Chicago region and all that good stuff. Uh, led revivals, and, but here's the coolest thing about D.L. Moody. Um, D.L. Moody had a heart for kids, had a tremendous heart for kids. And he, he had this Sunday school thing going that was just an amazing phenomenon. Kids from all over the neighborhoods, and oftentimes they were kids that nobody really wanted showing up to their churches, would flock to see D.L. Moody. And they would come from all over to see D.L. Moody. And one day, this group of kids, was they were going to Sunday school. And uh, this, this man asked this group of children, why are you guys going all the way over there? to go see D.L. Moody. And this little boy says, because a feller is what he said. I don't, we, we don't use these words anymore, right? A feller is loved over there. He's like, why do we go? Because we're loved over there. Because we're loved by him. Uh, and so these kids, I mean, hundreds and hundreds of kids would come and pass through his Sunday school thing. And these kids are getting saved. These kids get into ministry. I mean, and even if they don't go into full-time ministry, they, they start businesses, they start families, and they love the Lord simply because you have one man, D.L. Moody, who was world famous, world famous, could go anywhere, could go anywhere and draw a crowd, love kids so much, so much. And kids were attracted to that. People are attracted when they feel welcome and when they feel loved and when they feel cared about. They'll go. That's really kind of what happens within the story because you have thousands of, literally thousands of people who will run miles around a lake. There are people on our seawall that are dressed like Santa running, and I don't understand it, but they're doing it and it's cold, and it's windy, and I'm like, okay. Um, and I get the, guess they get hot chocolate and cookies and stuff, which I think is a horrible idea for runners, but well, okay. Um, but these people are like running because 
there's Jesus, and we will do anything to get to where he's at. And so this is, this is the story. Now, you can either see that as a problem or as potential. You can be like Jesus, or you can be like the disciples. It's their problem or their potential. So let's jump back into this. Let me give you some context-wise, you know, just, just so you know where we're at. At the beginning of the chapter, Jesus really, he sends out, he commissions his disciples to go out to the neighboring villages. You guys remember that? And he, he gives them power to cast out demons and to perform miracles and to do, a, and he gives them like these guidelines. Don't take, you know, don't take an extra cloak with you. Don't take some money for your belts. Don't do anything. If you go into a house and, and or if you sh- approach a town or something and they don't receive you, shake the dust off your feet and just keep moving. Just keep going. Well, we have to win them for Jesus. Well, you're not going to, so just keep going. Just keep going. Be free. Be free to keep moving, really, is what Jesus is saying there, okay? And then if a house does receive you, then stay there. Hang out with those guys. Well, what do we tell them? You tell them what I've told you. Just tell them the word. Give them the word of God. It's that simple. It really is that simple, okay? So he commissions his guys to go and do that. And so while they're out and going around village to village and town to town, all this stuff, this story gets back to John the Baptist dying at the hands of Herod, King Herod. So that story is transpiring and all this good stuff. Well, in the meantime, the disciples are coming back. And that's where we pick up. That's where the feeding of the 5,000 context-wise happens as a result of the disciples going out to all the villages and neighbors, neighborhoods and stuff have now come back to Jesus to report all the things that had happened. So verse 30 it says, he re- uh, the apostles returned to Jesus. And what's fascinating is the term apostles is used there. An apostle means one who is sent out, okay? So it, it, Mark could have gone with the term disciple, and that would have fit aptly. But he says apostles, so those who had been sent out. They return to Jesus, and they tell him all that they had done and taught. So they're Stoked. If you can't see that in that sentence, then you need to reread it, okay? Because they come back and they're just excited. They're thrilled of like, let me tell you what happened. We were teaching. They went two by two and they all come back with their own stories and their own the miracles and they, they were able to cast out demons and they were able to perform some, you know, some stuff. And they were able to teach. And so now they're just, man, they're, they're you know, cloud nine, like they're, they're living it. And so they come back and they gather around Jesus and, and word had gotten back that, well, John the Baptist is dead. If you go into Matthew's gospel account of the story, you know, that word gets back to Jesus that John the Baptist had died. And that's also part of the reason why he wants to get away, okay, to deal with this grief, so to speak. But the disciples come back, uh, well, I'll use a proper term there, the apostles come back and they're just, they're just telling stories. Telling stories. Everybody's got a story. And they're all sharing of like, yeah, these guys hated us. And so we shook the dust off of our feet. And we just kept moving, right? And like, yes, okay, sweet. Well, these guys welcomed us in. And we told their whole family, or we prayed for their kid that was sick, or, you know, or we cast out some demons, just gnarly stuff. And they're stoked. The problem that I see with this is uh, it kind of goes to their head. It kind of goes to their head. And and you'll see why I think that in a second. <laughs> but they're, they're excited, and they should be excited. Hey, um, the commission that Jesus gave to his disciples is the exact one you will find at the end of the Gospels. It's still, it's still there. Go. Go out. Make disciples. Preach the word. Baptize people. 
Go and do that. that. There is no like end date or expiration date on that commission. It's still active to this day. And in case you don't know definitions of terms, commission means command, not suggestion. Not when it's convenient, but from the king to his subjects, it's a command. Where are you at on that command? That's a hard question. You're like, don't ask me questions like that. That's why I may not come back. Well, hey, that's my job. I have to ask myself that question. And I have to be, I, I'm held accountable for that command as well. So let's never forget that there is a commission that these disciples, they went on, they fulfilled. It's the same for you and I today. We still got to go. We still got to tell. We still got to make disciples. So let's, let's figure out how to do that. Okay. They're excited. Jesus tells them, come away by yourself to a desolate place and rest a while. I love that. Jesus is like, you know what? He's like, let's, let's, let's get away. Let's, you guys did a great job. That's awesome. Let's go away so we can pray. Really is what he's saying here. Other gospel accounts say that. He says, let's go away so that we can pray. We need to recharge. We need to reset. So that sounds good to these guys. They're like, they're, you know, you know what it's like. Have you ever been on like a mission trip or anything? You come back, you're just like all fired up and you can change the world, right? You're like, yes, I'm going to conquer. And I'm going to conquer the world now. And uh, and you're so excited about it and all the good stuff. Well, one of the keys to coming back from a mission trip is you have to have some decompression time. You know, you have to have that time where it's like the best thing to do is to go away and like just pray. Just pray. Because what you're about to face is reality. What you're about to face is reality is that, hey, not everybody's excited as I am about this great mission trip I just went on. Well, yeah, that's kind of how it works sometimes. And then there's the tax and all this good stuff. Jesus, obviously being wise, is like, you know what we need to do? Let's go away. But he also knows we're not going to get too far. (laughs) We're not going to get too far. But it's important that we get away to go pray. Verse 32. says, they went away in a boat to a desolate place by themselves. So they're hopping the boat. They just had an experience on the boat leading up to this story that was a little bit, you know, uh, a humbling lesson for the disciples because the storm came. Jesus was asleep in the boat. So now they're probably feeling a little bit more confident of like, let's get in the boat. We don't know what's going to happen. But we'll prob- we learned last time that as long as he's in the boat, we'll be okay. They learn he's not in the boat and then they forget all about it. Okay, so they're going to go to the desolate place. However, however, verse 33 Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. So as they are pushing offshore, I've told you guys this before, but the Sea of Galilee, to use the term sea is is not really, it it paints a a whole other picture for you. Because you think sea, you're probably thinking massive body of water, but it's really the Lake of Galilee, okay? Um, It's just, it's, you know, 13 miles long, I believe, eight miles wide at its widest point, and it, you know, kind of goes narrow. So if somebody's getting in, a, getting in a boat, and where they were at geographically, the crowd could see, like, yeah, that's Jesus and his 12 guys, and they're going that way. So what they're going to do is they're going to run around the shortest part, and they're going to they're gonna beat them there, because they can see where they're going to go, and where else are you going to go? There's not much. I mean, it's a small lake, right? So these guys, the crowd, as Jesus and his disciples are getting into the boat and they're pushing off, 
they still, they still have needs. They still have needs. I do find it interesting that Jesus is like, he knows they still have needs, but he's still willing to get in the boat with his disciples to go get rest. And he's, and they're, you know, they're going to get a little bit of rest and he'll address some needs in a second. But so oftentimes we, we take on this like, um, hero kind of complex, you know, especially if you work in the church or you serve in, in ministry, you, you try to solve everybody's problems and you want to fix everybody's problems, but you can't do that. And even Jesus, when he was here, he didn't heal everybody and he didn't feed everybody. He fed those, you know, all along the the path that he was on, you know, the trajectory from, you know, once he, you know, getting baptized for sure, but going from that moment and then his destination is the cross. And as he is totally submissive to God the Father in leading and all that stuff, everywhere he went, he did what he was supposed to do. But part of that meant that, well, not everybody was going to get healed. And that's hard for us to to think, right? Because we're like, no, wait, everybody should be healed. That's not how it always works. And so we know that there's a crowd on the shore because they push off into the water. And this crowd's like, well, where are they going? They're going that way. Well, let's go. We don't have boats. We have feet. Let's go. And they ran around to cut them off, to get there ahead of them. And as they're going around, other people in villages are, think, are seeing them. They're like, is this the Santa run today? Like, what's going on? Why are you guys all running? They're like, no, Jesus and his disciples are going over there. And so they've all heard. And so they just join in with them. Nobody has time to pack a lunch. They're not thinking of that. They're thinking, Jesus is going that way. I need to get to where Jesus is going. And that's what they do. Now, I would like to think that their motivation is pure, but it's not, by and large. It's not always pure. Because they just, probably most of this crowd just want something from Jesus. Right? And, and that's just how it is sometimes. I think some of them had legitimate needs. And, they, and some of them wanted to be in his presence because of who he who he is. But you also know the deal. You know that a large number of people are just there because, well, they might want that free lunch. They might want it. And they'll get fed. And they'll get fed, you know? But this crowd grows, and then they, they all book it to where Jesus and his disciples are going. And I can imagine if you put yourself um, on the boat there as a disciple, and you're like, you know, rowing across the shore, and you're like, man, look at that crowd. Like, oh, no, they're... Oh, they're going to where we're going. Like, Jesus, can we go somewhere else? Like, can we detour? Can we, can you call an audible? Like, how about we just go to the furthest south point? Like, where, where they can't get there, right? Like, I can't even imagine what, what may have been going through the disciples' heads as they're seeing, like, oh man, that crowd. They, they're, they're, they're continuing on. They're going to right where we seem to be rowing to. So much for a break. So much for a break. And in ministry, Sometimes you get breaks, and sometimes you don't. Sometimes you do, and sometimes you don't. They'll come in seasons and all that good stuff. The point of serving the Lord Jesus is just keeping your eyes fixed on him, following the good shepherd, and when it's time for a, a break or you know some rest and all that stuff, the Lord knows how to meet us where we're at. The Lord knows how to meet us where we're at. I know we live in this weird, weird church, church kind of realm thing where 
Some of you come from other churches where there were never breaks, and it was always go, 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 and then you get burned out and you get exhausted and all that stuff. I understand that's a dynamic that happens, and it's very prevalent within the church today. I get that. I understand that. And that's sad when that's a reality. That's a sad thing because we, you know, sheep are not meant to be driven. Sheep are meant to be led, right? They're not cattle. You don't, you drive cattle, you lead sheep. And you got to know, and as pastors, and this is something that I have to be aware of as a pastor, which means shepherd, that I have to know when to stop and make the sheep lie down beside the still waters, so to speak, to use Psalm 23 analogy, okay? But pastors are just men, they're just people, and they don't always think like that. And sometimes you get into these modes of like, go, 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 go. And you don't understand the casualties that, that happen as a result of that sometimes. Now, you as an individual, here's, here's the thing, though. You can't always blame this guy. Can't always blow it on this guy, all right? Because you have your own responsibility as well, is if you're not getting breaks or you feel like, then you have every right to say, you know what? I'm just going to take some time off. I'm going to take some time off. And you have every right to do that. You have every right to do that. You listen to the Lord. You take breaks when you need to take breaks. But we see this happen all the time within churches. And, and you know, the, the machine starts going. And usually the end result is people get chewed up and spit out. And that's sad. That, that's a sad. But what I, what I don't want to see and what we have seen is people just no longer serve anymore because they've experienced that. And they're like, well, I just need to focus on me. And I'm like, well, that's a red flag. Um, I, don't, I spend so much time focusing on myself that that's a problem. And it's been a problem for me for 20-something years. That's not how long I've been alive, but um, since I've been <laughs> reborn. But I, we, we're still commissioned. We still have a call. We still have a call. And, and there's a delicate balance there between leaders and, you know, and, and volunteers. And, and we just have to be cautious of that. You, if you're a volunteer, then you've got to be aware of that. What can you commit to before you get to that point of burning out and listening to the Lord? You have to, you have to balance that out for yourself. And as myself, as a part of leadership, we have to be wise in listening to the Lord as well, saying like, hey, we don't need to be pushing anybody. And if we're trying to force things to happen, then we're not doing something right. We're not doing something right. Let's just, we're going to leave it to the Lord, let the Holy Spirit guide us, and I have to watch burnout in my own life. I have to watch it in my own life. So the Lord is, he, he's aware of all this stuff, and he's taking his disciples, and he knows, like, I know you're tired. I know you're exhausted. And, and the break is coming. The break is coming. And what we thought was going to be a break actually turns out to more ministry. And the Lord's like, yeah, but if you just hold on. Hold on, because what I don't want you to miss is the sheep who don't have a shepherd. Because when we bell on the ministry, there's still sheep that need to be taken care of. And who's going to do it? Who's going to do it? You just make it harder on the ones who actually have stuck around. Something to think about. Verse 34, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them. This is Jesus, okay? So he sees the crowd. And he sees what the disciples see. The disciples see it, and they probably step out of the boat thinking like, oh, seriously? Like, because that's what I would do, right? Um, if I'm honest, that's what I would have done. And be like, oh, come on, man. Like, all day we've been doing this. Jesus steps out of the boat, and he doesn't see a problem. He sees potential. And he's right, and the disciples are wrong. And I can prove to you that 
that is what the disciples thought because the word says it's what they thought. So don't think that I'm just like, I'm speculating here at all. Because when the disciples start telling Jesus what to do, that's when I know something went to their heads. Because they're not just making mere suggestions to Jesus. Now as apostles, Lord, let me tell you what you need to do about these people. Something's gone to their heads. Something, something went wrong, okay, on this little mini mission trip. A lot of things went right, but something went wrong, okay? So he goes ashore. He sees the great crowd. He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. This is uh, somewhat of a reference back to the book of Ezekiel, where the Lord, through the prophet Ezekiel, was getting on to the religious leaders of the day because they were not taking care of the sheep, they were shepherds, but they were shepherds. They were like gorging themselves. They were feeding themselves. And the sheep were starving. They were dying. And the Lord was highlighting that as a spiritual condition of the nation of Israel. The leaders who were supposed to be feeding the sheep were not feeding the sheep. And they were anemic. They were weak. Welcome to the Church of America, by and large. When we don't want to teach the word, what you have is anemic believers. You have a major problem in this country. And I'll, you, you may get tired of me saying this, but I'm not, I'm not going to stop saying it until something changes. You have a major problem with biblical illiteracy in America. And here's why that's, I mean, it's a huge problem. You should be able to identify that, why that's a problem. But we sell tons of Bibles in this country. But yet we don't know what they say. We have no clue what the Bible says, but you have churches that are filled with sometimes a little bit of people and then sometimes thousands of people. But you have shepherds who don't want to feed the sheep because then the sheep won't show up because that's not cool or that's not relevant or that's, that's nonsense. That's what, the peop- that's what they were doing in Israel when Ezekiel showed up. God's like, I called you here to feed the sheep. That's your job. What do we feed them? Feed them the word. That's what you do. When, you, when a shepherd or a pastor shows up and he doesn't want to teach from the word of God, you're not providing any nutritional value to the sheep at all. Cool story. That's funny. Ha, huh, got a ha-ha out of me. Excellent. Sweet. Where's the meat? Where's the milk? Where's the life? Where's the sustenance? Because I live in a world where Sundays can be great, but you know what? I go home and there's reality. And I, I wake up tomorrow and it's Monday and there's reality that I have to live in and that we walk in. And what I need is the word of God. I need food. I need food. I need meat. I need milk. That's what we want. The shepherds, we're not doing that. And that's why when Jesus shows up and he goes around and he starts like actually shepherding people and he teaches them the word, they're coming from all over to get to that guy. Why? Because, man, that guy loves us because he actually gives us what we need. He gives us what we need. So this crowd is gathering. And I love this because it says Jesus had great compassion on them because they were sheep without a shepherd. And here's what he does for them. He began to teach them many things. So they all show up, and he's like, what does this crowd need the most? They need the word of God. They need the word of God. 
I think sometimes, especially nowadays, we would look at this as like, and we would assess their needs by like, well, okay, they're kind of poor, so maybe they need some clothes, maybe they need food. What they need above anything, first and foremost, is the word. Thanks for joining us today here on Bread for the Broken with Pastor James Grizzle. We're walking through the Gospel of Mark, one of the accounts of Jesus' life while he was here on the earth. Mark offers unique perspectives on this time, emphasizing Jesus' servanthood to the people that he met. Jesus loved practically, often, and with everyone. What a kind and humble servant we get to serve. If you need to hear this message again, or you'd like to catch up on previous teachings, visit our website at breadforthebroken.com. Once you're there, simply click on the Listen tab, and feel free to explore the variety of verse-by-verse, chapter-by-chapter Bible teachings. Bread for the Broken is a ministry of Calvary Galveston. And if you're ever in the Galveston area, we would love to have you come visit us. We meet every Sunday at 10 a.m. for a time of worship and Bible study. Our Thursday night Bible study starts at 7 p.m., and you're welcome to come join us for both. Our atmosphere at Calvary Galveston is relaxed, so feel free to come just as you are. For more information, visit our website. Once again, that's breadforthebroken.com. You can get directions there as well. We're excited to meet you and spend some time worshiping with you. That's all the time that we have for today, but we're so glad that you listened in to hear from God's Word. We encourage you to read ahead in the book of Mark and to gear up for what's ahead in this New Testament book. There's so much to learn, so much to know about Jesus. So make plans to join us again, right here on Bread for the Broken. Let me paint the picture of you.